Welcome to America's Top Rebbitzins. May this class be for Rafua Shalema, for Haim Aviel Daniel Ben Rus, and also for Yehuda Ben Hinda Yoheved. We are so privileged to have on today's show Rebbitzin Alana Mizrahi. Rebbitzin Mizrahi is a mentor, a women's healthcare practitioner, a published author, writer, and lecturer. She teaches parenting and Shalom Bayez classes. Rebbitzin Mizrahi brings Torah to life and she makes it real. That is so incredible and meaningful. Please tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do. Okay, so um, I do a combination. I do a lot of things, honestly. Most, I, I think most present is I'm a mom. You know, I, I, I'm a mom and my housewife. And that's what really encompasses my 24 hours, seven day a week. I totally but also, understand. <laughs> <laughs> but also I work with, um, I work in actually women's health and um, I do a lot concentrating on everything really from conception to pregnancy, postpartum. That's like the big chunk of what I do. And then in addition, I do, I give Chinuch Banim and Shalom Bayes classes. And I'm, I'm very much in, you know, the, I guess the realm of family. And, um, and it all begins actually, you know, the Chazal says, the Loishti Zabaiti, it's not, you know, this is not just my wife, this is my home. The woman is really, she herself is a home. So I do a lot with women and body work also, and um, the mind, body, the shema, the whole thing. The mind, body connection is very, very important, actually. Yeah. 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 Very nice. Well, exactly along the lines of what you were saying, family is a central concept in Judaism, and it's really the foundation of who we are as a people. But raising children is really, really, really hard work. I mean, a family can have multiple children with many issues and taking care of everyone at the same time seems completely exhausting and overwhelming. So I want to see if you could share with us something that we can learn specifically from the Torah about raising children. So first of all, Vera, it's really interesting because I, I, I get a call like every, I had a call this morning and I get one almost once a day from a woman who says to me, Ilana, I just feel so overwhelmed mm-hmm. you know it's like the it's like it, it, it actually doesn't matter if she's got one kid if she doesn't have any children if she's got 10 kids if she's working full-time part-time or not working at all there's a common thing where it's showing up over and over that actually the factors is not what determines whether you're overwhelmed it's really your thoughts which are determining whether you're overwhelmed because again how could it be that a woman can juggle 10 and with a woman say well a lot i can't even juggle one so um so the, the very first thing to know is that is that where it is actually originally is from it's coming from my thoughts, you know, and it's coming from the sense of how I'm handling it and how I feel about it. And if I'm taking care of myself, I find that uh, a lot of times women are going to they want to project and say, well, it's because of this problem that I'm feeling this way. But, you know, I have a really it's actually coming up for us in these, in these weeks, partial with Rachel and Leah. There's a lot of dynamics, a lot of things happening. So. One thing that I thought was just completely and totally such a beautiful lesson to learn from Rachel and Leah and their dynamics is how there's this interaction between Rachel and Leah. And we know the, a lot of us know the whole story that Rachel gave over these symbols to Leah. You know, it really was supposed to be her husband. She was going to marry Yaakov. She was going to marry him. And she gave over because she didn't want to embarrass her sister. She gave over these symbols to this uh, Simanim, this to her sister, Leah. So Leah marries Yaakov actually first. And then the later on you fast forward in the Torah and you see that Leah's having child after child and Rachel is just in so much pain, mm-hmm. you know? And so many people can identify that with, with fertility. My, myself, um, my husband and I, the way I got into all the you know aspects of natural healing and alternative and 
um, women's health is because my, my husband and I also were quite a few years without children. And then what helped us was, happened to be the shlichim and the derech was through natural alternative, you want to call it complementary integrative medicine. So I just started, I'm like, okay, this helped me. I want to help others. It's amazing. So how this, yeah. And you have a situation where Rachel even says to her husband, like, I feel I'm dead. Like, if you don't give me a kid, I'm dead. She's in this situation where she's desperate, but she has a school. She wants a kid. So she goes up to her sister, Leah, which we know that Leah's son, Ruben, was collecting these, you know, fertility flowers, whatever these flowers were. And she says, I want the flowers. And Leah's, what is Leah, her reaction is, you want my flowers? You took my husband and you want my flowers. So you're at this moment of pause. Wait a minute. How could you say such a thing to your sister, Rachel? Like she's the one who gave, you know, Yaakov to you. And then you would expect Rachel to just like explode and be upset and say, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so upset. How could you say these things to me? And yet what does Rachel do? She says, wait a minute, goal orientated. What's my goal? I want the flowers. And she doesn't mention a word about it. She just says, okay, no, what do you want for the flowers? And then we see the switch where Leah's whole goal actually was just to be with Yaakov. And both get what they want. Rachel gets the flowers <laughs> and Leah gets Yaakov that night and she gets Yizachar. And I thought that, wow, if we get the problem, part of our problems of feeling overwhelmed is because we think that the other person is our solution. Or if I blame it on something else, if I blame it, I'm overwhelmed because I've got so many kids or I blame it because I'm working too hard or I blame it because the house is a mess. I have no one to pick it up, but we're not goal oriented. Instead of just saying, okay, my house is a mess. I'm giving over the how to you. I'm giving over how, maybe I need to hire help. Maybe I need to tell my kids to clean up. Maybe I need to pick up the best, but it's not when we're so, when we just goal oriented and what is my desire? What do I want? And I'm going to give over the how to Hashem you have cough, you feel much more motivated and like you can just focus on getting what you want instead of just the complaining, which makes us feel very overwhelmed because we get caught in it. You know, it's, it's, it's a huge lesson in life that also the idea that Rachel could look at Leah in that moment, I think, and be like, this is how she feels. I'm not going to get dragged into that. You know, so many times we emotionally get so drained because we get dragged into, well, if only my kids are happy, I'll be happy. If everything's going right with my husband, I'll be happy. If I'm married, I'll be happy. If I have a kid, I'll be happy. So we're getting really bogged down and feeling overwhelmed because we feel like my happiness, my sense of security, my sense of well-being is always contingent on another person. And we see throughout the Torah, time and time again, it's always going back to whether it's Perkevo telling us that your simcha is to be semech v'chelko in your lot, or that there's no love that's to luli anything, because you see, like, for example, love of, you know, of Yonatan and David that was not to luli anything, they had just this pure love. So you were constantly reminded of that my sense of love, my sense of security, my sense of peace, my sense of tranquility is not dependent on anything. So that means that all these factors that make me feel like I'm being overwhelmed is just because of my thoughts. Right. It's those if only, if only I married that one, if only I took that opportunity, if only right. I didn't miss that phone call, if only I, you know, if only, right. if only, if only, if only it goes on and on and on, you know, and also the blaming. I also, you know, I, I feel like as women, we blame, we blame him, we blame her and we blame them. There's, oh, there's no shortage of people to blame or situations to blame for all of our, for all, all of our woes, for all of our dissatisfaction in life. And I think that you had, that you said such a powerful nugget, you know, you, you focus on your goals, 
You figure out what you want to do. You figure out your goal in life and you leave the how to Hashem. The results are all in Hashem's hands. It's not on you. You have to figure out where you want to go. And the rest is up to him to help you get there. Exactly. Exactly. You know, there's a famous saying that's which means basically we translate it as if you toil and you find it, you, like meaning we think you toil, you're going to get it. So believe in that. So usually, I always grew up thinking that meant that if I work hard at something, I'm going to get it. I'm, I'm going to put an effort and I'm going to get it. But that's not what it's saying. There's another way to interpret it, which is matata, it's a mitziah, meaning the result, if you happen to work very, very hard and you got there, it's just because it's a mitziah that it's who wanted you to have it. So then why work hard is the question. People always ask me this, like, this is like the introduction to chinuch banning, like you have to work hard on this, but knowing that, you know what, the kids are going to have their own choices. They're going to do whatever. At the end of the day, they're, you're just like supplying with them, God willing, their, their physical and emotional needs. And then you're just passing on the torch that they're going to make the right choices, but it's not in your hands. So mothers always ask me, well, then why should I work hard? It's because you still have to, there still says you got to, you can't, there's no if you don't, there's, there is no finding though, if you don't put in that effort, like it's, it's a total of relinquishing the outcomes are always, you know, I, I give this over all the time to my children. Like, it's always like, we're going to make our effort. We're going to try our best. That's all the wants from us. And the outcomes are always in Hashem's hands. That means even if I have all the ingredients to my cake and I put it all in the, in the bowl, you know, it could not rise. It could taste like a pancake. You know what I'm saying? It could taste, <laughs> I, you know, I could have by accident put in, you know, salt instead of sugar. Like anything could happen. And also I, I've made mistakes where I felt like, oh my gosh, this is going to come out like a disaster. And it's like, wow, this is a really good creation of just throwing things in a pot. You know, it's always, it's always in that Hashem, the outcomes in your hands. And all I have to do is try my best. And I think nowadays we're so, so, so caught up into the outcome that it also makes us overwhelmed because what are you being overwhelmed for? Who are you trying to press with your perfectly clean home and your kids that are just all matching in the way you want them to be? And that your body looks, you know, I, I deal with a lot of pregnant women and they're always like, am I going to bounce back? And I say to them, no, you're not a ball. You're not a ball. <laughs> Like, you know, a woman's body is not a bone. You sh that image should not be our goal. You should be happy. You should be knowing that you have a tough kid right now. It's not to be a bone to just bounce back. You know, you're a different person. You're changed. It's also a person goes through a test. Let's say a woman has, has to deal with postpartum depression and she's gone through it. And she says to me all the time, I just want to be like I was before. I just want to be myself. I want to be happy. I want to be positive. I want to be who I was before. And I think to myself, Chaval. You're so much stronger now. You're so much more compassionate. You're so much more empathy. You're, you're not who you were before. You're so much better. You know, we're, we're humans are dynamic. We're constantly changing. We constantly have the opportunity to be growing, but we're, it's, it's not because of like what everyone thinks of me or an external, or it's not based on my outcomes, what the whole world is looking at me. It has to be just going again, back to my internal, focusing on my goal, knowing that really my greatness is in my effort and just my greatness is being me. Wow. Wow. And so I think it's so important what you, what you just said, like a woman before pregnancy and a woman after pregnancy, it can be applied to all so many different situations, like the, the before and after, you know, when people put yeah. so much work and effort and then after the process, it's really after the process, after doing all that work that people really, really grow. They grow emotionally, they grow spiritually, they grow mentally, and they are different people after than they were before, you know, and it's such exactly. an important concept. Exactly. And you, it actually leads me to a question. So I know, I know this is what a lot of people are going to be thinking, you know, how much, 
how much hitbo to do? How much, I'm sorry, how much um, work do you put into something? You know, how do you know when to stop? How do you know, you know, let's say you're starting a new business. Let's just pretend you're starting a new yeah. business and you want to put in, you're working 12 hours, 13 hours, 14 hours a day. You're exhausted. You can barely function. How much work, when do you know when to stop? Basically, how much work do you right. put in? Right, that's a good stop? question. How much has shelled us? How much effort do you put into something? So I found in my life that the key has always been like, especially let's say in, issues related to shirachim, to fertility, you know, to a woman trying to, or like, let's say, you know, she's overdue and she wants the baby out already. Yes. Or, she's, or parnasa, you know, trying to make a livelihood. I feel like there's the factors that would determine when you stop is number one, when you realize, first of all, this thing that I'm doing, is not going to make or break it. Again, you're always going back to the outcomes in Hashem's hands. Once you start giving over that, if I just did this one more thing, <laughs> if I work one more hour, if I, you know, if I put in one more, if I go to one more doctor, if I fund one more day, you know, it's, it's, if I call one more shat chanid, if it's, you know, if I try one more fertility treatment or I try one more thing, then that's going to be the one. So then no, you've overstepped it. You've overstepped it. That's number one. It's like an emotional of, am I putting power into the thing or am I still remembering that Hashem's in control and that it's not the thing that's going to make it or break it. That's number one. Number two is, um, I really feel that hysteria that drains you physically, not that you're pushing yourself on a spiritual level, like, wait, maybe I'll say one more pair of team and like fitting in like another tefillah here and there and trying. I feel like if you want to take upon yourself some kind of you personally, Kabbalah, Humrah, something that's just your personal thing that's going to push you a little bit spiritually. I don't think that's pushing yourself. But if you if it's pushing yourself in a physical way, meaning I'm going to break financially physically, you know, emotionally, mentally. So then, then it's not just us anymore. Again, it's, you're trying to put that um, result into your hands, right? You know, it's, it's overstepping your boundaries on yourself. Even a person has to be really honest with themselves. And they also have to say, what's my tough kid right now? What's my role? You know what I'm saying? Like, we want to do everything. And I, I don't know why, like, who <laughs> do everything you should want to be needed the most beautiful thing in the world is to be needed but you should also want to need there's this whole you know the whole concept the way I could have created the world kabbalistically is there's always this idea of a receiver and a giver it's never been a you know even within a one person you have a masculine femininity inside of you and within a relationship there's always an idea that there has to be a flow it's not just a one-way except from Hashem who always is the mashpil gives to us but also Hashem needs us in the sense of we make him the king, you know what I'm saying? Like it's a, he created the world in such a way that he wants that there should be a relationship and there's no relationship even within yourself if you're constantly feeling drained and just doing. Wow, that is so powerful because, you know, as women, we're always doing, we're, we're cooking, dinner, we're driving carpool, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're going everywhere, doing everything for everybody. And such an important concept, like, yes, we want to feel needed for sure, hundred percent, but for us to be okay within ourselves, to need it's it's not good anymore it's really because you get to a point where you're like probably because you're like physically breaking and then you get to a point where you feel guilty and this is so many times I find that women really feel guilty about asking for help yes and I'm always like I understand that this is also how I grew up I also grew up and that you have to do everything you have to be perfect and you have to be independent and you're a woman and hear me were (laughs) like I really grew up this way you know I went to like one of the top universities in the country and I very much grew up in the idea of I don't need anybody I can do everything and I'm fine and it's sad because I do need, and I'm human and why not? Like, isn't that so like, meaning uh, I'm saying 
you go, why is it that only if I, God forbid, I were to break my foot, you know, and I, I'm giving an example that's an extreme. Why is it only if a person's in a hospital bed should they then feel that they are magiali, like it's okay for me to receive? Like, we don't want to get to that point. We want to get to a point where we know that if I'm not allowing a person to give to me, I'm also not allowing them. I can't get intimate with another person. How can I truly get intimate with my husband if I don't allow him to give to me? Like, I'm sort of like denying him that. And, if, and also I have to give, you know, it's for sure that there's, there's, it's a, it's a two way, um, it's a two way street of every relationship. I think only the parent child relationship is one more of a dominant where the parent is giving much more. There should not be expectations that a child owes you anything. It shouldn't. It's really the parent who's the mash- I'm saying emotionally, I'm the mashpia. I'm the adult. I'm the one who's, you know, there shouldn't be any. But even with that, even with it there, there is a dynamic of the, the child has a mitzvah of kibud evm. So right. obviously they are giving respect or they're giving, you know, some sense of what the Torah is. Not an emotional, like I need to make you feel good, mommy, but in a, in a way of, I need, it's my job to give you respect, to, to give you kavod, to, to give you, to give you that, you know. Right. It's very defined, like the Torah tells us so beautiful because the Torah, from the moment you wake up in the morning, I'm not trying to sell anything here also, but it's like, <laughs> it's like, I know from the time I wake up in the morning till I go to sleep, I have a guide to tell me what to do, you know? And there are moments where the guide is telling me to be have gratitude. And there's more moments when the guide is telling me to just connect to the oneness of the world. And there's moments when the day where I'm supposed to be calm and quiet. And there's moments of the day where I'm supposed to be active. And the same thing with the calendar, the same thing with everything in our lives. We're supposed to be very dynamic and constant, you know. There's nothing static about our lives. Right. No, exactly, exactly. And I mean, uh, and along those lines, I mean, the, the rabbis in the Talmud tell us that after the destruction of the second temple in Jerusalem, the Jews needed to create a Mikdash Me'at in their home. Um, I mean, Dash Me'at is a small sanctuary. It's a holy place. And a home is supposed to be a place where everyone living there, the husband, the wife, the kids, all feel safe and loved. I mean, you can walk, I'm sure you, you know this from your own experience, you can walk into some homes and instantly feel love, joy, happiness, and connection, even if there's nobody home. And alternatively, I mean, you can also walk into another house where you feel rigid and uptight, even if there's nobody home. Like if you make one wrong move, somebody's going to yell at you. Even if there's nobody there to yell at you, you just feel that kind of tension. You know, as Jewish women, we want to create an environment of simcha and of happiness and of love in the home. But honestly, like we were saying, it can be very hard to be cheerful when one kid is crying and either another needs help with the homework. Another needs to be driven to basketball practice. Dinner needs to be made. And I mean, what, what advice can you give to women on a practical level to help them create a home that is a pleasant place to live in? So first of all, I really feel, Vera, that it comes from, I feel like there's, there has to be, first of all, number one is understanding that that is actually part of my voda. Like my voda is, to, meaning it's not just something that's going to be, what I mean by that is it's not an automatic it's not just if I happen to have these superficial things falling into place that that's going to be the atmosphere of my home. It's not something that I can create with beautiful um, carpets or, or meaning it's it's something that I have to actually work on all the time first. And that's number one. It's a, it's an avoda, yeah. right? If my home is the base of Mikdash, that means that all the time the base of Mikdash, the Konim were working, the Levim were, there was a constant amount of work. So number one is I have to understand that this is actually, this is a huge it's a huge tough kid. It's a huge role. The second thing I have to understand is that I'm not going to, I have to have priorities. I'm not going to get everything right now. I'm just not. 
So that means there's always a give and take. There's always amount of flexibility. There has to be on the one hand, discipline and order and boundaries and limits because that's called respect. And otherwise it'd be, you know, chaos. And on the other hand, there has to be flexibility. There has to be a warmth. There has to be priorities. What's more important to me, the carpet or my kid? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, what's more important to me, the, the spill or, or that it's clean? What's, you know, and sometimes the person could say, no, no, right now, actually order is important to me. That's fine. Like, I, I, I get that. But like, there's a constantly, I think a woman has to be constantly evaluating what are my goals and what are my values here? What am I trying to transmit? And am I being consistent? Am I being consistent? Am I realizing that, you know what? The house needs more music. The house needs more simcha. And so that means that I'm going to have to kind of like, I'm going to have to give up a little bit on the quietness. You know, you can't have like, uh, when you, when you, when you restrain too much noise, let's say like, you don't want screaming. Okay. But you're also probably like, I'm saying you don't want outbursts of emotions from kids. I don't mean like screaming, yelling. I'm talking about, you know, noise screaming. So that means that also I'm probably not going to get that joyful screaming either of like laughter you mean like it's it's always like you yeah, understand that if I'm when I'm constricting out sometimes I need to do that but there has to be a value in it you know we put so much into things like okay how are the manners and how are they eating are they eating enough protein and and we're forgetting what's the real value there like is the value what what is our values we don't I don't think we've lost sight of even what our values are and if I really understand what a beautiful work I'm doing that only I I'm chosen to be the mother or the housewife or, or, or even the woman of this home. If you truly come to understand that you have a completely and totally individualized mission in this world that only you and you're needed, you also value it. If you understand the awesomeness of it and you make your children feel that they're so needed. Like I can't, I, this home is a home because of you. Wow. Meaning if every person feels like they have a huge role, a huge tough key, like you feel special. You also want to contribute because you're part of this home and it's part of this family. If you feel like you have no responsibility, it's just a hotel. You have no sense of wanting to give because you're not feel special. So then, you know, you're right. You're not, you know, like I've lived in certain communities where when I felt that I didn't have, that I wasn't needed, we moved, you know, like you, right. you after a certain while, you're like, we're going to move here because I feel like I'm just another person. And then when you get to a place where you're like, you know, not in a, um, egoistic way as I need that kavod but just in like I want to feel part of something like I'm needed so why would a kid want to be in the home that they don't feel like they're part of it or needed for it you know the opposite I feel like sometimes we're trying so hard to make it so like easy friendly <laughs> but we also have to understand that I want I want you here like I want it to be a warm place and I want it to be loving and I want you to feel needed like I need you here like you're part of this you're part of our family you're a contribution you know you're as part you're as every person here is a huge contribution to our family and to our home. And I, I, I feel like you, you're, you're going to set the tone for what you really want, you know, and it's about priorities. It's really about priorities, but I, I also think it's a lot of hard work. Like you have to be consistent on it and you have to really know that it's not going to come naturally. People always see these beautiful homes. They hear about all these famous stories. They read these books of like Sadiqim and Rebetzins and everything. And I can tell you, these people worked really hard. It did not come naturally to them. They had to really work on any everything that they did, whether it was their miras or their nechas or rechim. So maybe Hashem gave them a gift, but to do it consistently, to be constantly on top of something, you have to work at it. Even if you were born like the most you know generous person with the heart, bit of this heart, it's it's something that you need to work on. So you have to say to yourself, this this is work for me, and this is what I want to do. You know, like sometimes a woman can get also so physically, you know, de feeling depleted. Yeah. And bogged down 
and um, she has to also replenish herself. She has to find simcha in what she's doing. You know, she can't feel like, well, it's only if I run a gold medal that I'm going to get the gold. Like, if only I run the Olympics, I'll get the gold medal. So who wants to be home? You know what I'm saying? Like, you really have to value what you're doing. Understand the greatness of it, the awesomeness of it. And that only you can do it. Anybody else can be, I mean, anybody can be smart. Anybody can make money. Anybody can win anything. A person who trains and does eight hours of laps, you know, seven days a week, 360, you better win a gold medal. <laughs> like, you better win a gold medal or I'd be like worried about you. So anyone who invests, but what are you investing in? Right, exactly. Yeah. And along those lines, I know that you have a passion for, for bringing Torah to life and for making Torah real and practical and every day for us, especially for women and applying Torah to our everyday lives. And I want to see if maybe, uh, I mean, the Torah has so much to say about parenting and raising children. And I was wondering if maybe you could tell us a little bit about uh, or give us an example of something from the Torah that you've applied to your own personal and daily life in terms of raising kids or raising a family? Sure. So also, again, with these, all these pressures have to do with, you know, all these parenting. Uh, I don't know exactly when this is actually going to, which week it'll go on, but we're in this, we're in Sefer Breshit. So we're in Sefer Breshit and we see in Parsha Teladot, an example, um, a couple of things that I, I actually would love to bring in like real talking about outcomes is that Yitzchak, he wasn't an idiot. It wasn't just dumb. He was loved. I'm saying he wasn't just like blinded by love of a father. You have to really look and see what was going on is that he saw an Esau, there was a potential. And honestly, you know, there's a lot of Mephashim that say if Esau hadn't been Yitzchak's son, meaning if Yitzchak hadn't showed him the love that he did, the unconditional love that just, I love you and I believe in you because you're my child. So then he wouldn't have even done what he did. Like you have to realize he didn't kill his brother the whole time Yitzchak was alive because he still had awe and respect for his father. I mean, his head is still in Kedar Machpelah, meaning that you think, oh no, Esav the Rasha, you know, his parents, like Chaval, like they wasted all this time and energy and Yitzchak wanted to give him bracha and it was just a waste. It's not a waste. So I think that's one very huge parenting thing is a lot of times I have mommies come up to me and be like, you're not going to believe this. I did this therapy and this therapy and I did this and I did this and I ran this way and I ran to the OT and the PT and the this T and they're like, and the kid is still struggling and they're still having problems. And I feel like they're just sapping all my energy and time. And I think to myself, first of all, you don't know how the kid would be off if you didn't do all those things. But more than that, you're doing those things because you're the parent. This is your avoda. Again, the outcome is in Hashem's hand. If the kid's going to read, he's going to read. If he's not, he's not. I mean, you know what I'm saying? You're going to do whatever you can to get the kid to read or get them to have the help they need. But you have to do this because you're the parent. And if you don't love this child, who's going to love the kid? You right. know what I'm saying? Like, so that's one huge lesson. Another huge lesson we have with about connection. Like, look at the importance of, you know, we think you know, we hear, you know, I think a lot of parenting classes give over the importance of you need to spend like designated time with each kid, but like really understanding, look at the connection that Yosef and Yaakov had. It says Yaakov learned with him. I mean, we know this, like, you know, when, 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 ya when Yosef is in Mitzrayim, the thing that keeps him from not sitting with Potiphar's wife is he sees an image of his father. They had a connection. I mean, chinuch is not just about me transmitting and giving over. Chinuch is about forming connections. You can't form a connection with your child unless you're with them. Right. You just can't. You can't do it if you're working 14 hours. I don't care what anybody says. I'm, you know, I'm saying you can't. You cannot form a connection with your child by being like a once a week 
I'm here when I'm only available for you and I can fit it into my, uh, into my calendar and the phone. You know, <laughs> connection is, parenting is I have a connection with you and also understanding the uniqueness of each child and that each child got their own bracha. You know, each child got exactly the bracha that they need to give, that Hashem sort of zeroed in, gave that parent that rocha kodesh, knowing also the name. When I name a child, I have, I am, I have the essence of this child. Leah, Rachel, all of them, they have the essence of their child. They gave them the names. Yitzchak, everybody had a name that was the essence of the child. That means that I actually have a Ruch HaKodesh, that I do know the essence of a child. I have to understand that and I have to go with my instinct with that. And yet I can't, I have to see that this child has got an incredible potential. I can't quelch, you know, I can't quelch it. I just have to channel it. Like, I think these are constantly lessons and and safer Brashid about, about that and about also that, about connection, about that children, each one has its own koach, about channeling it, about spending time, about understanding that it's a relationship. Um, you see with that also Hana, like, you know, the whole idea also with having a child was not for her own sense of gratification. The child was to be an Ebed Hashem. And one of the ways, the very start of motherhood for her was tefillah. You know, she's the one who teaches us how to daven. So you have, here you have Hana and and I feel like women are not necessarily taking advantage enough of their koach of talking. I mean, the Gemara says that we have nine out of 10, we get talking, right? I'm not just talking about saying they're in the midah. And if you don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not going about what your obligation is, every, each one in their own busy lives and whatever the Rav says. But just talking to Rav Shalom constantly throughout the day, Hashem, like this kid's not feeling so good. This one's got a little bit of it, you know, this, they're having a little bit of hard time in the test. Just this constant communication with Rav Shalom, we learned from Chana. That you know what, this is connection. Like, can I just bring that down? And I'll, you know, as we get ready for Hanukkah, the idea of like, can I understand that all I have to do is just light my child, and then they're going to have their own light, and that light only goes upwards. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're connecting the child, I make a connection with them. I let them know that they're standing on their own feet. I believe in them. I give them responsibilities. I give them belief. They're going to go up. They're, they're just going to go up, God willing, and they have their own light. We're just letting them. That is, and that is so important. It's really, really important. And it's something um, I want to zero in on something that you said. It's just so crucial. And I don't think that I don't think that people realize this. You know, yes, we have prescribed times for davening. You know, um, shachris, minchamariv, and those times for davening are really, really important. But we can talk to Hashem throughout the day, every day, from the time we get up to the time we go to, to sleep. When we're in Whole Foods or in Trader Joe's, when exactly. we're washing the dishes or doing the laundry, at any time of the day, when we're driving the car, you know, and we could just talk to talk to Hashem, just like you were saying. It's yeah. connection, Vera. It's a constant yes. connection. I'm like, Hashem, please let this line go quickly. Also, yes. like, I need to, you know, can we, I hope I'm going to, you know, today I had an appointment and one daughter, I had to take one daughter for um, hearing tests and da, 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 da. I'm like, can it just go, I, I'm, you know, I'm asking, like, there's not a moment where I know that like my day should just go smoothly. Like I have, I, I understand that I need a connection to Hashem to know that, okay, let me just be able to pick her up, take her to the appointment, let us get a parking spot. Let me be on time. Like it's a constant, the more you're connecting to Hashem in, the more your life is alive. Like that's what Chaim is that Hashem, you're, you are part of my life. You're part of my raising my children. You're part of my every single thing. Like if I go into speak, if I try to help somebody, 
you know, it's to say like a one second tefillah that Hashem, please let me just have sit that I'm the right shaliach for this person. Like I will say the right words to her. I'll comfort her or I'll give her a chizuk or I'll, I'll make the right recommendations. It's got nothing to do with you. It's got to do with the connection. And can I connect to that person? Again, not judging them like Rachel and Leah also, like Rachel was very much like, okay, maybe, I mean, maybe she was thinking that's what Leah thinks. I don't have to get into that. That's her perspective that I took her husband, you know, but this is my perspective, meaning like this is constant. Like, can I just connect to this person and what my common goal is or what my goal is and not get drawn into, you know, and just connection, connection, connection. I, I, I'm really into connection and connection to that you should be connected to yourself to take a moment every day. And just literally, even if it's just for five minutes, three minutes, I love exercise. So I'm like, go for a walk, you know, go for a run or, like where I'm just connecting to myself, maybe even talking, wait a minute, I didn't even realize I have that pain or that, you know, Hashem, you know, like you're connecting to your body, you're connecting to your neshama, you connect to your loved ones, you connect to your, you know, your spouse, your children, it's connection. It's, it's really, I, I, it's, it's staying conscious that I need, I need to connect. And the only way to do this to make an effort, you know, like I, I, on Shabbos, I have a six-year-old and I was like so tired. I just wanted to like veg on the couch and just relax or read a book. I love reading. I love reading. I love reading. I just wanted to put the safer and read a book. And he comes up to me and wants to play a card game. Yes. I was like, I really didn't want to play a card game. It's like the last thing I want to be doing right now. And I'm like, but I want to connect to my kid. So I want to play that card game because that card game is connection to a six-year-old child. You see? So then all of a sudden I have a shared desire with him to play the card game because I want to connect. So also same thing with Kodesh Baruch If I'm ta- constantly talking to Hashem or constantly connecting, then even in those mitzvahs that are really hard for me that I don't want to do, but I say to myself, Hashem, I'm going to do this mitzvah because it's connection. So then you have a relationship. You know, you do this with your children. You do this with your spouse. You do this with everybody that you, you know, care about. It's not necessarily that I want to do that act, but I want connection. That's the important thing. Exactly. Like that's the point, the connections, the connection with Hashem. Just exactly knowing that he's there with you all the time not just during chakras and minha and marv or exactly. on yom kippur like all the time right right exactly it's very important and along the lines of children i know it's so funny that you said about um your six-year-old that you wanted to play a card game my nine-year-old did the exact same thing to me this mm-hmm. exact job i'm sitting down just open the book mommy can we play a game can we play a game and i really did not want to play the game i just i just didn't i really just wanted to sit down and read my book just like you did I said, okay, okay, we'll play the game for that exact reason. Cause I want to have that connection with her, you know, exactly. even if it's Shabbos, I don't have to drive anywhere. I'm not cooking anything. I'm not going anywhere. Right. This is the time. Right, so. <laughs> right, right. And I'm speaking of children, you know, I, what about, what, what about when it comes to challenging children? You know, there's some kids are just nice and easy and you tell them to do this right. and they do it and just so mushy and beautiful and wonderful. And there's some kids, you could talk to them so beautifully, so nicely, and it's like banging your head against the wall all the time, no matter, no matter what you say, how you right. say it, what do you right. do? So first of all, there, I think that uh, anyone who has more than one child will have a challenging child. That's number one, <laughs> like the challenging child. Yes. I must say too, I, um, I actually hate the word like I hate even, I, I, I've decided that like, wow, first of all, we have to change our language, which I, I totally get. Like you have a kid and you're just like, I'm so challenged by this child. But I, again, I feel like first we have to stop labeling the kid as being difficult, hard, challenge, him or her. I'm saying you could say this is a challenging situation. I feel challenged. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I've been frustrated. But when we're constantly talking and the thoughts are constantly negative towards this child, it doesn't make it much harder. Yes. 
you know? So number one is honestly, if you can literally even write down those moments, of course the kid is cute. I'm sure there's moments when the kid is cute. It's got, this kid probably has an, is probably brilliant or has an incredible motor or has its challenges. I'm saying, or different because it's a teenager or because it's a terrible twos or because it was a terrible fours. I don't know what's going on in the kid's life. And if you can just write down, please write down, first of all, the moments where you just like, these kids are just delicious, adorable, and like so cute. So that you have some kind of like, it's not only a reference to negativity, negativity, negativity. Because again, our thoughts are going to affect how we feel. Yes. So the more I'm thinking negatively about this child, the more I talk negatively about him, I'm going to feel like the kid's a monster. So that's number one. Number two is I think also just like grounding yourself, really literally even taking off your shoes, putting your feet on the ground and putting things into proportion. A lot of times the things that we find are so challenging or difficult are simply because of lack of knowledge. Like I, let's, I'll give an example where let's say I'm dealing with a lot with mothers with younger kids. Most of the things are very age appropriate. It feels overwhelming. You're right. Some kids, easy, but no one wants to listen. Actually, you say no before you say yes. Meaning listening is a skill. So some kids are better at the skill of listening and some kids are not, but it's something that you teach them. It's not something that like, not everyone's born with this skill, just like not everyone's born with the skill of drawing, but some people draw beautifully and some people need to develop the skill more. It's literally just a skill. Listening is a skill. So if I like start projecting, not that the kid's being difficult and it's, but like some kids, it's just like a knee-jerk reaction. They'll just say no. I'm saying it's not that they're even saying no to be defiant. And it's just that's who they are. So you first put it into perspective. And then you say, okay, this kid has a difficulty with listening. I need to teach them a skill. You know, you, you kind of like minimize that the kid is the monster. <laughs> and you look at the, the idea that like, I just need to teach this kid a skill. I need to teach the kid. You know, I also find two very big, so I feel, I find two huge things that come up a lot with parenting is either the parents have unrealistic expectations that are just not normal. Like, again, maybe it's not age appropriate. Maybe it's not maturity appropriate. Maybe it's like the expectations are just not realistic. They think that the kids are projecting way too much into the future. Like the kid's three years old, doesn't want to wear a keeper, and they're already saying he's off the derrick and like, you know, the kid just doesn't like the keeper because it's not comfortable. Not because the kid is, you know what I'm saying? Like this is a very common example or that kind of thing. You know, like the seven-year-old just decide, you know, they don't want to say a bracha, but seder. I also forget sometimes what if I said a shayotar didn't say, like, you know, you calm down. And then, but the second thing is, is also we're like afraid to discipline, meaning we don't take ourselves seriously. So why should they? We say no, but then we really don't follow through. We say yes, we also don't follow through. Meaning if a parent is mamish, has their values, I think, and they're being consistent and they're clearly transmitting what it is that they're trying to transmit and they're supplying their emotional and physical needs of this child. So you do have a better starting ground that that kid, even if they are a very, even if they are always putting you in challenging situations, um, it, the more that you can self-regulate yourself, stay calm yourself, I'm telling you the whole situation is not as challenging or difficult. And believe me, I, I have my spectrum of children and situations that are much more, you know, times where you just feel like Hashem, I just can't. I lift up my hands and I'm like, I can't, Ruben Shalem, I can't. This is just too hard. It's beyond me. And then I also have to go back to myself there and understanding that Hashem gave me this child. Right. But this is the child that I done for. That means that if Hashem gave me this child, he for sure is giving me the clock to take care of the child. Every single day I say, Hashem, you give me everything that I need. So that means that you are giving my neshama everything it needs to take care of this child. Okay, I might need help. I might need Kaleem. I might need a coach. I need me advice. I need me to I might need somebody to help me. 
but I have to know that I ultimately, I can do this job. Otherwise, Hashem would not have given me this tafkid. And again, again, you, you, it's your choice. I know you'll get one thought into your head, but it's your choice what you do with it. And the more we're thinking negatively and the more we're building it up, the kids so difficult and they're so difficult and they're so stubborn and they're so anti-authority and, 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 and. So it's going to make this molehill into a huge mountain, you know, instead of just like, let me just deal with the issue. Do I have a behavior issue? Do I have an emotional issue? Let me just get to the issue. And then how? Wow. Deal with it. That's a very powerful point. It's a very important point to be made. Yeah. And yeah, for sure. For sure. Our thoughts affect our feelings, which affect our actions. And it's, you know, if it's negativity, it just keeps building and building and building and building until, until we explode also, you right. know, and it's addictive there, right? It's addictive. Like it's addictive to complain. It really is. Yes. It gets to this point where you like that negativity is kind of almost like what is it's addictive almost, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, I find there's two stop signs though that you can find if you're on the right track or not. If you're like on a track of MS or on a track of one is if I keep repeating the thing over and over in my head. Right. Like if it's in it and that rep repetition is just making me stuck, you know, or if I, I'm, or like I'm repeating it over and over, or if literally I feel like I can, there's no solution and you go into this like panic mode, like I can't anymore. There's no solution. This is just, you know, and it's a constant, like, negativity of thoughts then i'll say no wait a minute i want to go to new york and i'm in florida i'm going in the wrong direction like <laughs> those are my stop signs like hello you're not on the right freeway here like you're going somewhere it's true you're on a road but you got to stop and turn around you got to try something different it's not helping you these thoughts right wow wow oh there's so much to keep in mind as a parent every single i know day. i know i know it's deep breaths it's always, uh, I think the number one thing though, too, like I, I, I'll tell you something, I always start off with my parenting classes saying, look, there's a thousand books out there. I've read them all. You know, there's a million classes that take, I've probably taken them all. At the end of the day, a person just has to know that you are the mother, really, literally trust in the coach who gave you a special love and instinct and also trust that, you know what, at the end of the day, you just have to work on yourself. Really, it's all about you working on yourself, you staying calm, you staying self-regulated, and again, giving over the results to the struggle. Exactly, right, exactly, that's the way, that's, that's the only way. It's the only way. Um, we have just a few more minutes left, so I just wanted to maybe ask yes, you one more please. question. Um, you know, I love giving examples. I love learning from examples. I love giving other people examples. I just feel like, you know, examples help you learn and grow and it, because it helps you to relate to the subject matter. And right. I just want to see if maybe there was an example from your personal life, like for you personally, or maybe from your work with other moms as a doula or as a healthcare practitioner, just something yeah. that something that you learned directly from the Torah and you were able to like really apply just to, from the Torah to real life. Wow, I feel like every day as a, as a walking living, um, I feel like every everything is is that. I mean, even from just even like a just go back to the beginning with Brayshit. Um, you know that the Sfat Emes brings this that the Kadosh Baruch first created the world with Rachamim. I mean, sorry, with Dean, right? And the Svarimet brings that, that was plan A. And then Hashem said, wait a minute, there's plan B. And I have to add Rechamim. Meaning like, I think just honestly, as a parent, you're like, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is going to be the plan. I want my kids to do this. I want them to go to this kind of school. I want them. And then all of a sudden you say, wait a minute, actually plan B for this child is Letchatchila. 
because it's not going to work this way. It's going to get destroyed. Like the world, like Hashem really created the world in Dean. And he himself, who's Bishlemis, who's he's perfect. Hashem is perfect. He has no mistakes. And he says, you know what? We're going on plan B. And that's going to be Litratrila. And I think that that's also something incredible as a parent is where you make a plan and you think, okay, this is what we're going to do. And then you realize it's just not working. It's not working for this child or it's not working for our family. And then you can say to yourself, you know what? That's actually plan A. Plan B has become plan A. You know, I, I, I feel like the, the flexibility of it and understanding that I just have to go with the reality of what right now Hashem wants me of is a huge, you know, it's, it's, it's like a huge, it's a huge lesson. You know, sometimes it's like, okay, this is what I wanted. And actually that's not what's right for us. So you go to Ben Pli and ben, plan B ends up becoming plan A, you know, and like in different situations, I know like also with COVID and just different things, like families felt like they were doing things that were not really what they wanted to be doing necessarily. It's not necessarily how you would want to run your house, but you're like, you know what, this is a situation right now. This is where we're holding. So we're just going to do it. And then when it passes, we'll, we'll figure something else out. So I think that's a huge, huge thing for me. That's been, that's been amazing. And um, also the idea, Rabbeinu Yona brings this, that when you habituate yourself to something, it just becomes second nature. Like you just make a habit of something. So we make us, we, we go, we fall into a lot of habits and we can also make good habits. And a lot of Yiddishkeit actually is just habits. Like when you're raising small children, a lot of it is, is just make it into second nature for them. You know, it sounds so robotic and so empty, but actually you're showing your child that this is just, it's your life. Like, you know, you, you come to a point where you're making like, a habit almost like as though this is just second nature to me to serve a Kiddush It's not even something I have to think about. It's not something that I so incorporate into my being. It is me, you know? So we just sort of like from a very small age, you just, this is the way we talk. This is the way we, you know, where this is the way we dress. Like it's second nature to us. It's not something that you have to work so hard for. Yiddish kites should be just our life. Right. And it's also I'm saying it's not nowadays. Also, you don't have to like every you can get everything you want in the Gashmias nowadays. Like everything. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You can buy any kind of food you want, can have the best texture. Any, any, you know, any mitzvah can be done so beautifully and with such galore. Um, it's not the physical part that we're missing. It's the that this is my life. Like this is what I needed for. This is what I want. This is my avoda. This is it's like second nature. This is who I am as I'm a yid. Right, right. And it, it takes a lot of amuna, a lot of faith in Hashem to accept what he's giving to you, especially if it's not, if it's not your plan A. I know, Vera, and people really do have a lot of suffering and they have really hard lives. And I'll tell you another thing that I've learned. Um, and you see it with the Imahot that all of them, including Leah, was, you know, the, they say the Midrash, they say that she was barren, is that nothing's automatic. The Torah is teaching you that nothing's automatic. It's not that she's like, you're going to get married when you think you're going to get married right. or you're going to have the kid. You know, Avram Avinu, he goes to Canaan like Hashem told him to go. And then there's a famine there. What's up with that? You know what I'm saying? Like the constant that Hashem is not saying this is an easy path. You're right. There's a lot of suffering. There's a lot, but also it's always this idea, well, of course, because Megali, like, of course, like, why shouldn't I have everything? I think we need to change our attitudes about that. If we really kind of focus on the appreciation and the gratitude and that, you know what, nothing in this world can be taken for granted, which we saw a lot during COVID, like yes. your breath, 
air, human contact, physical contact, like going to school, you know, nothing can be taken for granted. You have such an appreciation. I, I, I feel like, um, that people, yes, they, they really have people, everybody has their suffering in their hard life. Like it's true. And, and, one of our anchors is knowing that I'm a UD, which comes in Hodaya, and it's a constant gratitude. It's like Leah, she had the fourth son. She's like, I can't take this for granted. I have more than my share, right? And that brings this awakening of gratitude and of just like, wow, like, you know, I, I, I'm not deserving of this. I have more than, than, than is my share. Wow. It makes Torah living. Right, exactly. No, you're bringing the Torah to life, which is amazing, which is, which is what we should try to do every single day in our own lives. Right. And it's not, I don't know, it's not so hard. Like, I don't know why. I, it, it, there's so many obstacles to it, but it shouldn't be so hard because the more you look for Hashem, the more he's there. I mean, literally, I have a tradition in my home. For example, on Friday nights, we go around the table. It's from the littlest kid to the biggest one, my husband and I included. And if we have Shabbos, guess they also have to do it. Is everybody has to say one hashkacha practice that happened to them that week. Now, mind you, the hashkacha practice could be like, I missed the bus. It could be a negative thing in your eyes. <laughs> But you see, that was Yana Shem. I missed it. You know what I'm saying? Like, and the more we've been doing this for years now, I'm telling you, the more you are aware, you make your children aware that Hashem is in their lives, the more fulfilled you feel, the more close you feel, the more you connected you feel, the more you feel like, wow, I, this is not me running the show. It's such a relief that I'm not in the driver's seat. Why? That makes me feel so much of a relief. Like, I, it's not in my control here. I love it. I love Hashkaha practice stories. Uh, Hashkaha practice is when you can really see the hand of Hashem in your life. Right. And you really see that it's not, things are just not run on automatic pilot. There really is a pilot called Hashem who's running every single thing in your life from the, whether getting there because it's red or green, even on the automatic, you know, stoplight that you think is just, but you know, whether the car went in front of you or behind you, whether everything in your life is divine providence. The more you open, not these huge, doesn't have to be these huge stories. Like, you know, you arrive at the day and then you've got the lotto ticket and you won the $50 million. Just literally, you know, like the three-year-old telling me, you know, like it's, it's, it's the most small, minute details. I had a really cute thing in Israel. We have a tradition that in Rosh Chodesh, it's a very common thing. The kids get chocolate, chocolate milk. Okay. So I go, now this is very common for your show for Israel. I go to the supermarket. I got up even earlier. Like we have a supermarket down the block from us. Okay. So I get that, go there. I had a 20, I had like the $5 bill, the 20 shekels in my hand. Everyone's dressed and ready to go. We're going to get it on the way to the school bus. We go into the supermarket. It's Rosh Chodesh and there's no chocolate milk. There's no chocolate milk in a bag. There's no chocolate milk in a box. There's no chocolate milk in a jar. There's no chocolate milk. And I thought to myself, this is so beautiful. What hashkacha practice? Yes, even chocolate milk going to the supermarket, which you take so for granted, especially in America, yes. there might not be chocolate milk. And that's hashkacha. And my kids were just like the cobble that, okay, there's no chocolate milk. Like we tried, we did our effort and that's okay. It's hashkacha practice. We didn't get our chocolate today. I think it's such a beautiful way to live. Like if it's there, it's because Hashem wants it to be. And if it's not, it's because Hashem doesn't want it to be. So that means, yes, even when I go to Trader Joe's or Whole Foods, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be there. And if it is, it's only because Hashem wants it to be there. 
That's amazing. That's, that ties everything together. Everything that we talked about, I feel like that just really brings home the point. That's amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much, Rebison Mizrahi, for taking the time to join us on America's Top Rebison. We really, really appreciate you being here. And we know that all of your wonderful teachings will be for Rufua Shalema, for Yehuda mm-hmm. Ben Hindu Yohevet, and also for Haim Aviel Daniel Ben Rus. And if anyone in the audience has any questions or comments about the podcast, or if anyone would like to sponsor a podcast, please email us at atrebitsons at gmail.com. That's A-T-R-E-B-B-E-T-Z-I-N-S at gmail.com. Thank you so, so much. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you.